All right, my friends, thanks for tuning into the podcast, where, as always, we'll discuss the professional literature and the evidence-based protocol as they relate to the effective treatment of clinically significant anxiety symptoms. I'm Chris Lines, licensed psychotherapist and OCD spectrum disorders treatment specialist, and this, well, this is OCD Straight Talk. And I've talked about this before, that, that the anxious community, that, that individuals who are anxious, that they often sort of struggle to imagine the idea. The people who are depressed, they do seem, for whatever reason, they do seem to get a hold of the concept more easily. You know, and you can walk uh, a depressed individual through this sort of hypothetical scenario, and, and welcome them on a journey of imagining that their activity is, is engaged, that their behavior is activated, right? Because when you think about depression, oftentimes the sort of compulsions, if you will, of depressed individuals is inactivity, right? It's not engaging showering or, or toothbrushing. It's, it's not engaging social life and physical activity, right? It's not maybe going to work. It's, it's canceling different appointments and, and engagements, this kind of thing, because they just don't feel up to it or, or they don't feel like they can do it today or whatever it is, right? And, and so you sort of invite them to imagine, well, how do you think you'd feel at the end of a day? Let's just take one day, just one day, right? How do you think you'd feel at the end of a day as opposed to a series of, uh, of inactivities, right? Sort of sitting around on the couch and, and ruminating on, on the problem at hand and how bad you feel and, and so on, rather than choosing to do that. Uh, you sort of swam against the stream and climbed uphill and did the work of engaging vigorously life, right? How do you think you'd feel at the end of the day if if you vigorously engaged physical activity and and if you were to engage social engagements on, on one or two occasions throughout the day in a meaningful capacity, right? And through the course of this time, you're, you're working to make sure you're eating breakfast and, and you're eating lunch and, and you're eating dinner and, and rounded full meals, even when maybe you're not hungry, right? And, and you're engaging hobbies, things that you used to like to do. How do you think you'd feel at the end of the day uh, if you were to, let's say, live that day as opposed to living the day in which you're 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 engaging in inactivity, right? And very, very typically, depressed individuals will readily acknowledge, yeah, I think I would feel better at the end of that day than at the end of this day, right? And then you say, well, well, let's imagine you didn't just do that once, but you did it twice, right? Two days in a row, you uh, you engaged vigorously your life. How do you think you'd feel at the at the end of, of the second day? And then how do you think you'd feel at the end of the third day and the fourth day? And you sort of take them on this journey of, of imagining what do you think it would be like if you acted as if you felt good, even though you don't, right? What do you think it would be like? How long do you think it would take before you really began to think not so depressed, before you began to feel not so depressed? How long do you think it would take after acting not so depressed that you would begin to feel and to think not so depressed, right? And, and most depressed individuals can readily get a hold of the idea that, yeah, I can see how that really would 
that really would have an impact on on me, right? But anxious individuals, for whatever reason, they do struggle to imagine that if you didn't engage these compulsions, if you worked hard, like hard to resist them, and not just for a moment or two, not just for an hour every once in a while, right? But if you really worked and you didn't cut corners and you didn't bitch out, but really put effort really invested discipline and work into resisting and stopping the compulsive response. How do you think you'd feel at the end of a day? How do you think you'd feel at the end of a couple of days? Uh, How do you think you'd feel at the end of a week? And I think a lot of people, like a lot of people, they struggle to imagine the idea of an anxiety producing thought that doesn't produce anxiety because they are intermittently, at the very least, engaging compulsions. And so the concept of a thought that very typically produces distress being deprived of, of its teeth, right? The, the idea that this thought is going to pop into your mind and, and, it's, and it's not any longer uh, snarling and, and drooling and producing all this distress with it, right? But it's just this sort of like thought that pops into your mind and sort of rolls out the other side and you move on with your day. Uh, This kind of idea where, yeah, I have this intrusive thought, but it doesn't really bother me, right? It doesn't really affect me. And that because the intrusive thoughts and the anxiety that they cause follow the leadership of the behavioral choices into patterns, right? The idea that I'm going to change my behavioral choice in the moment, in the ever-present moment, I'm going to work to to restrict. I'm going to work to resist. I'm going to work. I'm going to fight to prevent compulsions, right? To really work to monitor and look for and identify compulsions and resist and prevent them. The idea that that's going to be an ongoing disciplined effort for me, right? And like I say, listen, like I say, not just for a couple of minutes, here and there, not for an hour every once in a while, but for this this consistent uh, and enduring effort, this lifestyle of working to resist and prevent compulsions. Like what impact is that going to have on the nature, the frequency of the intrusive thoughts that you have and the intensity of the anxiety that they cause? So I think that oftentimes, Dealing with OCD is like having a relationship with and, and, and this prolongs conversation with a, like a super neurotic person who knows you really well, right? And, and maybe you're driving to work and, 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 and he's going on and on about what if, what if this happens and what if that happens? What if that means this? What if you're going to have to deal with that later on? How are we going to deal with it? What does this mean? It's like this ongoing conversation. It's not just a monologue. It's not just the the neurotic individual uh, spewing his or her concerns all over you. Because then you respond. And maybe you respond by rolling down the windows and, and trying to distract uh, him from spewing his neurosis all over you. Maybe you turn up the radio. 
right? Maybe you try and start a, a conversation with somebody else with whom you're carpooling, right? And get away from that conversation. But you're still interacting with the person because he or she is still sort of chirping at you and, and talking to you and expressing his concerns about your future and about yourself, even though you're trying your best to drown it all out and distract yourself from that conversation. And there's this subtle shift that I'm suggesting to you, right? And it's and it's a it's a shift that requires a little bit of explanation. Like it's a it's a shift in posture. I'm not talking about distracting yourself. Distracting yourself is a response. It is a response to the neurotic individual. It is a response to the OCD. I'm not talking about distracting yourself from the intrusive thoughts. I'm not talking about blocking out the voice of the neurotic individual in the car. What I'm talking about is ignoring. Can you ignore the thoughts? And, and, and again, I'm not saying block them out. I'm not saying distract yourself from them. Listen to me. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, can you ignore them? Now, imagine you're literally in the car with someone who's talking to you about the concerns that he or she has, and you begin to ignore the person. Does that mean that you're not listening to what she's saying, to what he's talking about? No, it doesn't mean you're literally not listening. You are hearing what he's saying. You are listening to her concerns but you're actively not responding. You're ignoring her. What I'm suggesting to you is, can you work to ignore the intrusive thoughts? And the reason I'm asking you, can you ignore, is because of this. Listen to me. Compulsions make the thoughts real. It, it, there's a certain degree to which as you respond, all you really do is give credibility to the very nature of the intrusive thought. You know, it's like the idea that I, I touch a surface and I, and I have the thought that I'm dirty. And in order to relieve the thought and maybe to, to turn the volume down on the anxiety that it's causing me, I go and wash my hands. There is this corresponding, albeit maybe somewhat subtle, uh, degree to which I'm giving credibility to the thought, right? I'm making the thought real. Right As I'm ruminating on what I touched and, and, uh, and whether or not my hands are dirty and, and, and trying to subtly reassure myself, that very subtle and quite invisible response that I'm making to the intrusive thought makes the thought real. And there's a question of, can I ignore that thought? What does that look like? Ask yourself, what does it look like for you in real time to ignore the thought? Now, bear in mind, again, I'm not saying to you, block the thoughts out, push them out of your mind. I'm not saying that. If the individual is in the car and is talking to you by ignoring him or her, you're not literally plugging your ears and not listening. No, you're sending a message to him. I don't give a fuck. Quite literally, you're not responding. That doesn't mean you're not listening. It doesn't mean you're pulling over and saying, get the hell out of my car, right? Distracting yourself, pushing the thoughts away, somehow trying to stop them from happening. I'm not talking about that. No, we're allowing the individual to keep on going with his neurotic concerns. 
We're allowing that to happen. Just as I've stated to you, we allow the thoughts to happen. We don't stop them. That by definition is a compulsion. We're not working to stop the thoughts. We allow the thoughts to happen because, you know, we can't control them anyway. But in the process, we exploit what we can control. And that's we tape our mouths shut and we don't respond. That's what the analogy looks like. Now translate that analogy into real time with your OCD. What does it look like for you to not respond? How subtly and maybe not so subtly are you responding today? And I invite you, please be honest with yourself about that question. How are you responding today? Make a list of the behaviors with which you're responding that may be compulsive. Not just the ones that definitely are. I'm sure this is. It meets the definition. I know this is a compulsion, but let's include the behaviors that might be. I think this might be a compulsion for me. I think this one could be, right? And so the question becomes then, well, what do you have to lose by treating a behavior that might not be a compulsion like it is? Well, let me ask you an alternative question. What do you have to lose by treating a behavior that might be a compulsion like it's not? And you just keep on doing it and doing it. And later on, at some point down the road, you find out, sure enough, that was a compulsion for me all along, right? So we work to treat the behaviors that could be compulsions, not just the ones that are, as if they collectively are compulsions and we work to restrict them all. We don't respond within the context of the conversation with the super neurotic individual. Again, we're not blocking out thoughts. We're not distracting ourselves. We're allowing the monologue to happen. We're allowing the neurotic person to express his concerns, but we're ignoring his ass. Can you work to simply not respond, to act as if I don't even hear you, to say, watch me when he says, oh no, you can't do that. Well, what if this happens? Well, maybe it will. Watch me. Watch me. And you got to ask yourself, how many times are you going to say, oh yeah, watch me, bitch, watch me. How many times are you going to blow past his concerns, his neurotic warnings? How many times? Five, six, eight, 10, 15 times, 20? How many times before he starts slowing down his warnings and starts learning that you're not really listening anymore? You don't care. You don't care. And he's beginning to learn a lesson. Quite literally, my friend. The OCD is learning the lesson that you don't care. How long is it going to be before the neurotic concerns constantly coming your way are going to slow and quiet? How long before they stop? Well, that's it for another episode of OCD Straight Talk. Feel free to reach out with any questions you might have to chrislines04 at gmail.com. If you found the podcast helpful, consider giving it a five-star rating. 
or subscribing to OCD Straight Talk for structured help with your anxiety or OCD symptoms. Thank you.